Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Raindance Media. Raindance offer a range of digital marketing services, SEO, web design, pay-per-click advertising, Google Ads, and Facebook Ads management. Rank your business on the first page of Google or build your business's online presence with their range of digital marketing services. Raindance are a boutique agency only taking a limited number of clients. Get more traffic, acquire more customers, grow your business. Don't get left behind online www.braindance.net.au Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Hear the Voice podcast. Today's episode is a fantastic one, in my own opinion of course. We speak to Mark Safoulis and Tamara Hyatt. Mark is a Richmond VFL assistant coach and Tamara is the head coach of the Sandringham Dragons women's football side. Mark also dabbles in a lot of tennis coaching and he's quite good at it and has a fantastic story to tell in regards to his journey to where he is today. Tamara also has a really fantastic story to talk about in regards to her golf, playing professionally on the tour overseas and how she was led to become a head coach of women's football. They are tremendous people first and foremost. They are really good storytellers and very, very genuine. I had a great time making the podcast with them and I hope you enjoy it. I want to thank them both again. So here they are, Mark Safoulis and Tamara Hyatt. Please enjoy. Tamara Hyatt and Mark Safoulis, how are you both? Good, thank going you, well. Nick. Very good, yeah, going well. Welcome to Hear the Voice. It's uh, great to have you both on. Where do we find you, firstly, Mark, in these... Uh, we're coming out of the pandemic times. A lot of my recordings have been during isolation. Um, where do we find you, mate? Yeah, well, obviously, isolation was challenging and probably still is on the on the backside of that for a lot of people but um, fortunately in, in my main um, income source and in tennis coaching I'm back coaching a little bit which is great and, and back into some sort of normality which is obviously um, very welcomed and my daughter's back at school she is and she's in prep and thank god we don't have to homeschool her anymore because it was chaos at home so we're actually uh, we're back to some sort of normality with uh, yeah with that but um, yeah just uh, yeah getting back into coaching has been great obviously footy's back on the AFL side but unfortunately from a VFL perspective uh, not so not so kind and we've uh, we've pulled the pin on 2020 season but um, yeah look it's it's a shame but obviously for the right reasons and we're trying to play our role in, in keeping people safe in the community. Yeah 100% 100%. Tamara how are you mate? Yeah good good so um, I've been lucky enough my role I work in the uh, freight industry so um, we've been quite lucky in that um, we've we're pretty much an essential service so I've uh, I'm working from home though so um, but a Tuesday and a Friday is uh, the little one two-year-old isn't at daycare so um, <laughs> that's where we sit today just trying to um, entertain him poppy's over so um, but yeah we as similar to Mark is that um, now that some restrictions have released, we've started to do some things with um, our NAB League um, top ages. Um, so that's that's really good and, and been doing a fair bit of stuff with them via Zoom as well, just to keep them engaged and, uh, and involved in something um, through these uncertain times. Yeah, fantastic. That's good. Well, it's good to hear you both well during what we've been going through. Um, it's interesting. So only met Mark... Uh, maybe a couple of times during the level three course we were doing, mate. And then Tamara, obviously, we've coached against each other and, and built some rapport of late. Um, and I wrote both of your names down. I made a bit of a list when I started the podcast as to potential people to have on. And 
you guys know each other, which I did not know. Um, how do you know each other? Oh, it's a, it seems like another lifetime ago. Um, I don't want to put a number on how many years ago, Mark. But um, so, uh, Maribyrnong Park Tennis Club. Yep. Um, I think it, that would have been early nineties, possibly. Mark. Well, yep. early nineties for me. I think I've got a few years on you. But um, but yeah, both members um, prior to to golf and footy, I uh, I was playing tennis, um, and uh, and yeah, knew Mark or knew of Mark. He was a little bit younger than me, but um, through Maribyrnong Park Tennis Club. So. Small world. And Very small world. 25 odd years later. It's um, incredible. Yeah, and we met at the um, met up again at the She Can Coach um, mentoring session, uh, which was run by AFL Vic uh, last year. Yep. And, yeah, knew the name, and I'm like, oh, wow. So, <laughs> old Maribyrnong Park Tennis Club. It's amazing. amazing where it all comes from. You sort of, yeah, you, obviously the, the world is so small and obviously the sporting community is probably even smaller. And, um, yeah, it's always good to catch up with familiar faces, especially when, you know, uh, Tamara sat in front of me uh, for the Sheik and Coach interview process, I guess. It was uh, it was quite amazing. We're actually talking more about old times than we were about the, the program. Yeah. <laughs> actually, it was, it was actually two years ago, I think. So it might yep. have been 2018 because I know Raf might have only been five weeks old and I had him there with me. So, um, yeah, small world. It is. The, the sporting community, especially in Melbourne, it's, um, I don't even think it's six degrees of separation. It might only be two. So <laughs> It's an absolute fishbowl, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you've mentioned Sheik and Coach a little bit there. I actually do the Outer Reef or the Yarra Valley Sheik and Coach program. What are you guys doing? What area do you guys do? Um, so um, I was a participant and Mark uh, a mentor. It was set up by 2018 uh, by Lauren Arnell uh -huh. um, at AFL Vic, who was part of the, the coaching program. Um, yep. A really good initiative. And I think it was um, to give... I guess, female coaches opportunities to grow and develop. Yep. Um, I guess the, the landscape, which you'd probably understand, Nick, having um, done something in the outer east as well, is there's, there's not a lot of opportunity for that mentoring development. So I think we were really lucky that um, Loz set this up and, and put us in contact with people, not just in football, but across the, the coaching landscape. I know, so Mark from tennis and VFL, Yep. Um, but we also had, um, at the time, the Collingwood netball coach acted as one of the, one of the mentors. My mentor was uh, Rebecca Smith, who worked at PwC, and she worked um, had a really strong um, emphasis on on female engagement and things like that. So, um, yeah, it, it crossed not just the sporting landscape, but um, really gave us an opportunity to have have someone to talk to, pretty much away from. Um, our inner circle just to bounce ideas off and it was it was fantastic I you know I've, I've probably never really had any any mentors even when I was playing sport mm -hmm. um, so as a coach um, you know it is really nice to um, to have someone to bounce ideas off and and for me having a young young family as well Beck had a young family so just um, not just sport, but also lifestyle and that balancing act. It was, um, I found it amazing. It was really good. Yeah, it's interesting. What's PwC tomorrow? Uh, Price Waterhouse Cooper, the account, the big accountancy, is it accountancy? I think it is. So, um, yeah, and she was heavily involved in the North Melbourne and Carlton AFLW bids. 
Okay. So she, um, that's sort of her background from a, a, um, I guess you would say a, I don't know whether it's a sponsorship or a, a marketing, um, yeah, avenue from from that point of view. So that's where the link came along with that. Um, getting involved in the, the AFL women's coaching mentorship stuff. So yeah, cool, cool. We've skipped, we have skipped all all sorts of um, questions and initially introductions, but I want to stick with this while we're on it. Mark, how did you come involved to running that program? Um, I was approached to become a mentor um, by uh, uh, Lauren Arnell and Julia Lawrence. So basically this year. So um, it's been quite good. I've continued my journey in the Sheep and Coach program. I volunteer my time to, to support um, women in coaching in the AFL. And um, I actually think it's a great initiative. I'm really big helping people grow. And like Tamara said, it's not just coaching life. I think everybody, mentor uh, where you are in life in terms of your coaching or, or your personal life I think it's really good to have a sounding board and um, and I've quite enjoyed having I've had uh, I think four mentees that I've had in the in the past few years and it's been great to you know stay connected with them as well and, and just be a sounding board for them and um, create good relationships like tomorrow and I discussed earlier we've we've known each other through sport over many years um, yeah. you know you know, you continue the journey along and you never know where you might bump into each other once again. And uh, it's always good to, to create new connections, to bounce ideas off each other. I learn as much from the mentees as I hopefully can, can teach them as well. And it's been a great initiative and we've obviously continued through this year, even through COVID, which has been great. Um, and hopefully for years to come, there's still funding to be able to continue that because I feel like, you know, uh, a lot of coaches out there, males as well, and I think, you know, we've got to, look at everybody needs great people in their lives and uh and mentor is always always good because you can just sort of ask questions and, and ask things that really you know you need help with uh so yeah it's a it's a great initiative hopefully we can continue on in the future as well yeah, yeah totally agree mate we're a little bit the same out here our program's been put on hold we've got 12 participants and we started the program this year oh. out in the well the outer east or the and the afl come together which has been fantastic. So we were able to have a couple of sessions and then um, it got canned because of COVID. But we're hopeful that the recent news from the government in regards to um, the restrictions and whatnot that's moving forward in potentially July, August, maybe get it up and running again, which would be really good. Um, Tamara, let's start with your journey because it starts with, well, there is football involved early on, which I want to talk to you about, but you were a professional golfer. Yes. Before you um, were slapping Mark around on the tennis courts out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, back to Maribyrnong Park. It's amazing the the, um, I guess the people that have come out of Maribyrnong Park. So um, a good mate of mine, Chris Anstey, um, Dustin Fletcher was his doubles player. We had Joe Siriani, um, who was. Is this the Tamara Hyatt name drop segment? Oh, of- big time, big time! <laughs> but but it's amazing that it, it you know this, this tiny this tiny yep. club that had people yeah. co- go to all different avenues of sport. Um, quite amazing, really. Um, Chris Guccione, I think he was yep. he was yep. at Maribyrnong yep. Park, and um, there Emma you Doyle. know so yep. Emma Doyle, who's running, yep. um, who's a really strong female influence um, in the tennis industry for coaching. Yep. Um, 
So, um, yeah, but, but back to, yeah, golf. Um, I guess it was through a, a member at Maribyrnong Park that I got interested in golf and through um, a teacher. Um, and, yeah, I just went out and had a hit one day out at Medway and, and liked it. And um, I guess, uh, you know, when you're good at something, you tend, especially at an underage level, you tend to do it a lot more. Um, and I like the fact that I didn't need anyone to practice with. Um, I'm ultra competitive. So, you know, for me just to get out there and, and bash a, you know, a couple of hundred balls and things like that, I could go and do that out by myself and, and set goals myself and things like that. And then uh, I managed to, um, I guess I, I had a year out um, just working on my game once I finished school. Um, and I think I, I wasn't a, a great student. Um, I always, I was there for the social aspect, but um, completed year 12 um, just to get through and um, was lucky enough to get a, a scholarship at the Victorian Institute of Sport and uh, had uh, access to fantastic resources um, and spent five years in there before turning professional and then uh, went over to Europe early 2000s um, for six years I was over there. Um, and then in my seventh year, um, felt that I just was starting to get a little bit um, flat probably that ultra competitiveness, not happy with mediocre performances. Um, and it started to affect sort of my, my own mental um, well-being and health. And uh, had an opportunity to go on caddy in America once the season finished in Europe. And, and I love that whole strategy of um, working in partnership with someone and, and never really went back to playing and then spent the next five years based in the States um, caddying on the LPGA and the PGA. So that's in a roundabout way, um, I guess, has assisted in that transition into a coaching, um, having the understanding of what it takes to, I guess, get to the highest level and then um, also in a, um, a management, a player management position, that, that side of caddying and things like that, I think, has really assisted in the, that side of it. But I used to travel with a footy in Europe um, we had a few of the, the Aussie caddies, the boys that um, we used to get out on the practice fairways and in the main streets of some of pretty cool towns and have a kick. And we saw that as an, 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 as an outlet. And um, yeah, so I traveled in my clubs, the top part of my clubs, I'd always have a footy traveling with me. And yeah, so I kept my interest in footy and, um, and yeah, I guess here we are. That's awesome. That's really cool. We'll, we'll come back to all of that tomorrow. It's a really fascinating story. Mark, did you have a similar pathway with tennis in regards to uh, playing and how far did you get? Did you end up... I know you coached professionals or a professional. Um, how far yeah. did you go with your playing? Uh, so basically, yeah, similar to tomorrow. I finished school. I was a horrible student. Uh, <laughs> Uh, easy, I, easy, easily distracted, Mark? Was uh, that on the report? <laughs> um, you know, Mark talks too much in class and distracts yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. That kind of comment. But um, I was always into sport. That was that was me. I loved, loved my tennis, loved my footy. Um, you know, I, I used to used to cop a, a bagging at school for, you know, what are you doing on Saturday night, Mark? You know, you're going out with your tennis racket kind of thing. And um, and basically that was that was my life was, was around sport. And I finished year 12 and... Um, I sort of had a thought about college tennis in America, sat my SATs. I was ready to sort of take that transition, but um, I just didn't want to do school. So I ended up 
uh, traveling on tour a little bit, um, played for two years, uh, played some futures and satellites, which is obviously the, the, the level down from absolute ATP pro level. And, um, you know, I was doing okay without setting the world alight, got an injury, ran out of money, and then thought, you know what, I can coach and, uh, and make money doing something I love. And, um, you know, I, I was always more about helping others than I was helping myself. And that was where I think my journey got to was I just didn't want to put the work into myself and I would rather help somebody achieve their dreams. And, um, and that's where coaching came into it. Um, you know, I sort of tried to make a little bit of a return back to play at around 23, 24, but, you know, never really had the passion to play, passion to coach and uh, enjoyed learning about the game, enjoyed studying it, enjoyed, you know, other people's journeys and successes more than my own. And that's where the coaching sort of hat lies with me. And I, I sort of get, I, I guess that's my reward when I'm on the court and I, and I see a kid achieve something that, you know, um, is an amazing feeling for them. It's a, it's a, a success or a great outcome. And you sort of get that reward within yourself and you think, well, I've helped this kid feel the way they do and it's more rewarding than actually you achieving it yourself. And that, for me, where a coach sits, it's in the selfless model as opposed to selfish. And um, I'm selfish in other ways, absolutely. And my wife will tell you that for sure. But, so uh, all mine. But, so all mine. Yeah. <laughs> and one too. <laughs> yeah. But look, I think at the end of the day, you know, you know, coaching has always been, I think, I feel like I was born to do it. I feel like I was born to, to be in someone's corner and help them achieve their dreams. And um, yeah, and I've obviously gone on to to coach some, some pretty high level players in the past and uh, in the last few years, especially. And um, yeah, and obviously footy was an interesting story how I fell into that too, but I'm sure we'll, we'll go into that as we go along. We definitely will. We definitely will. I want to um, pose a question for both of you because it's interesting, both being involved in um, individual sports. Um, and for me, I was involved in, I never played individual sports. I'd have a whack of the, the golf club with family now and again, but it was never any good. Um, uh, there was more team sport, basketball, football, of the like. The perception of golfers and tennis players, especially at a young age, and maybe it's just my perception or maybe an opinion, is um, you've got to have a pretty healthy ego to be good at it, A, and B, especially to travel and go and pursue it. How old were both of you? Um, Tamara, we'll go back to you. How old were you when you took the the step to go overseas and pursue that career as an yeah, well, individual? Yeah, I look, for me, I was a little bit older. So um, okay. I was 23 when I turned professional. Yep. Um, so I think that assisted. And because um, I had spent five years um, in the Institute of Sport, we were, were basically, I think, what was really good about the VIS is we, to prepare us for professional life and on tour, um, because you're right, it is, you know, it's, um, you've got to be really self-driven for an individual sport um, and self-motivated. Um, we had certain things that we had to tick off and we had to organise all of our own travel. So in the VIS, we didn't have people organising our travel. And I think that assisted in that transition um, because that's probably, you know, the golf is one thing, but organising, you know, how to get from... Uh, Geneva to um, Prague for a tournament um, yeah. on a the smell of an oily rag yeah. um, and, you know, trying to fit three sets of golf clubs in the smallest possible car you can and things like that, um, I think, assisted because that's probably the harder part. The golf courses are all green grass and things like that, but it's the day-to-day the -day organising of travel, um, 
you know, I, I think it sounds a little bit wankish, but, you know, I'd been to France six or seven times and never, ever been to Paris. Yeah. So, you know, you see the golf course, uh, the hotel, and maybe you might go to the same restaurant almost all week. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you, you learn, I think, a lot about yourself. But um, I think that the Institute of Sport set me up probably um, in that organisational sense um, prior to turning pro. But, um, but, yeah, you do have to be quite, I wouldn't say selfish, but and I don't know whether ego, I, I probably didn't have a big enough ego, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to be a little bit ignorant of what's going on around you and be quite self-absorbed um, to an extent. Um, and um, probably the desire from that side of it waned for me, um, hence why I ended up going to Caddy. But, um, but yeah, it's a massive step, I think, um, especially for Australians, is because there's no tours here. So you need to go overseas. Um, so I was probably happy that I waited a little bit longer. Um, but you know, there's, there's kids that are going over when they're 17, 18, you know, um, and traveling the world. So, um, yeah. And, and that's one thing is we are so far away, like in Europe, I wasn't able to come home in the weeks off, um, because it, you know, financially it wasn't viable, but also by the time you get home, get over jet lag, you've got to go again. So, um, you know, finding bases to, to, um, stay. Um, and I was lucky enough in Europe, it was almost like a big big family so everyone because the financial aspect of prize money wasn't as large as america i think everyone looked out for each other a little bit more um so yeah i that's um i guess that's from a, a I, don't, I would think that it might be similar from a, a tennis perspective mark yeah absolutely um almost identical you know yeah. it's amazing how similar the, the two sports are and that you know, financially, it's not quite rewarding either from the bottom bottom level and you've got to really fight your way through and find ways to get to places and you've got to hitch rides and you've got to budget. Um, you know, there was a, an instance where I was in Sydney, I reckon uh, I was like 19 and I had $50 left in my pocket. Um, I'd been there for five weeks. I'd lost first round. I had $50 left. I couldn't rebook my flight home. Um, and I had to survive the whole week on 50 bucks. And uh, I had a Macca's down the bottom of my hotel, which was a Formula One hotel with two beds. We had eight people staying in it uh, to try and save money. Um, and literally, I, I survived on the 95 cent cheeseburgers, the 30 cent soft serve, free water from Macca's downstairs. And that, yeah. was, that was my week. And it was, um, you know. So, you, it's so similar. Yeah, so, so similar. similar. You, yeah. You've got to find ways. And I think. The individual sport teaches you so much about yourself. Um, you know, there's no one to rely on. There's no one to bank, you know, your money on. There's no one to help you out. It's just you and, and, your, and your equipment and getting from tournament to tournament. And if you're not successful, you know, how do I find a way to be able to pay for my next week? Um, yeah, yeah. And these are the, I guess, the, the, the experiences, I call them, that teach us so many lessons in life from an individual perspective. And um, and you've, you've got to look out for yourself and you've got to learn how to budget your money and be able to survive. And um, whereas I think the team sport element teaches you so much about looking out for others. Um, and that's where I love the fact of the tennis and the footy or the golf and the footy for yourself tomorrow is, is important because it's, well, I need to be the best me I can, but then I've also got to look out for others and make them the best them. So yeah. it's that uh, ability to be able to do both, which I think is a, a good trait for probably we, we bring to the, 
to the game of AFL, I guess, is that ability to... It's about you, but then it's also about us. So um, it's a, it is a very similar situation, golf and tennis, though. Yeah, very similar. You made light of that, Mark, um, with the Macca's story and, and the Formula One hotel, but how old were you and how actually hard was that? How... How actually hard on it. Yeah, it's interesting looking back. Like I look back on my life a lot. Um, I think I was talk- talking to you before we even started this podcast about looking back at the experiences that shape us. Yeah. And I was 18, um, just finished year 12. Um, I was a mummy's boy. Never, <laughs> never had to do anything for myself. I didn't think. I don't think I still do anything for myself. My mum did that. And then my wife <laughs> took up. So, um, so basically, you sort, of, you sort of get to a point in life where. Um, you know, you, you have to fend for yourself. And, and at 18, you know, I look at the kids that I'm coaching at 18 and, and I'm trying to get them to go to college and experience a life away from family because I feel like the earlier you can grow up, the earlier you can make better decisions in life. And um, I looked at my, look back at myself now and I think I had no idea. I, I didn't, I never washed a clo- uh, an item of clothing in my life. I'd never cooked a meal. Um, I'd never done anything like that. And being able to do that probably... I guess fast tracked my maturity. Uh, it fast tracked where I needed to go because I just had no idea. Um, and I, I think looking back now, I, I was, you know, I regret not going to college um, in in America to play tennis because I would have got a free education. I would have got free tennis. I would have been able to travel the world, live on my own, learn how to be independent before I then probably forked out the forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars on playing a professional game. Yeah. Um, and I mentally, physically you know, ready to play men. I was a boy. I was a kid. Um, I was mentally probably about 12 when I was 18. So I just had no idea of what to expect. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like you, you and, and going, like talking about coaching philosophy, I coach from the inside out. So I coach players to be able to think for themselves because our thoughts create our actions. Yeah. And I try and mature them in, in the way that, you know, you know let's, let's develop your thinking processes, your decision-making before I even worry about execution because your execution is a result of your thoughts. Yep. So you know, and I knew as, a, as an 18-year-old, I made really poor decisions. I made really poor thoughts in every aspect of sport and life. And that's where my philosophy has evolved in coaching is that I want players to be able to fend for themselves. So you've got to be putting them into situations where they have to think and make decisions. Tamara, what's your opinion on that? Are you in a similar... Yeah, very similar. I think similar um, that... Yeah, coming from an, an, an individual um, sport, I think, you know, my, my philosophy also on coaching is, is working with how you can get the best out of the individual. And, and you know, in a, in a team of 22, you've got 22 different personalities, to- people that take information in differently. So you've, first and foremost, you've got to have an understanding of who that person is that in, and how the individual ticks. Um, and then once you've got an understanding of, of who they are, then seeing how they can benefit the team and how you can, you can basically, it's like stirring it all together and getting the best result. So um, rather than, and I think I've learned that in my, um, I guess, the coaching journey so far is, and every year you grow, um, is that maybe when you, I first went in there, I had the, this idea of how things should be. Yeah. Um, and, and potentially everyone needs to adhere to that. But then you realise and, and you go back on what worked for you when people were coaching you, whether that be in a team environment or for myself individually. And, and I always thought that the best was to coach me as the person, 
not to suit a certain system. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that the last couple of years I've really um, honed in on is building those connections and then that, that in turn gets buy-in and trust and then you can work on the team side of things secondary. But always coaching that, that individual first um, or um, developing them and, and whether it be just at football or away from football and then you can um, obviously see how that can, um, I guess, work best in a team environment or how that person works best in that, that team environment. It's really fascinating while you're talking to Mara and, you, and Mark even touched on it as well about that connected piece and the relationship piece to your coaching and your philosophies are, are quite similar in that sense. Do you think being from an individual sport background that's shaped your coaching to be better off in the current environment? We talk so much now about relationships with individuals that including the other podcasts that I've had with coaches and athletes and now with you guys and I predict it to be in the future when I talk to other coaches. We don't talk tactics on this program or show, whatever you want to call it. Podcast. We're always yeah. talking about that connected piece and the relationship piece, and it's sort of the X's and O's are taking a back seat in this day and age. Um, is your philosophy based around that? And has it helped? Has your individual experiences as a golfer, and for you too, Mark, as a tennis player, do you think you're in better positions now to coach individuals in football team? Oh, for me, without doubt. Um, And I think mine, not just as a golfer, but also working as a caddy. Um, So I probably the the most success I had with a player was um, a player called Sophie Gustafsson um, on the LPGA. And um, not many people would know, but she has a severe stutter. So learning how to communicate and with her, as well as with playing partners, with, you know, in pro-ams, you're... You can be playing with um, a potato farmer all the way through to a CEO of a major corporation. So having an understanding of how to interact differently with different people and different personalities, um, for me, really assisted, um, well, I feel, has assisted in that coaching component, um, for sure, without question. Probably more so so the caddying side of it, I think, for me, uh, because that was about managing the player how best can I manage this player to shoot the lower score around this, this golf course? How did you manage her with the stutter? Um, oh, it was built on um, building up trust yep. um, and a relationship. Don't worry, when you got a club wrong, she didn't stutter. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> when you got a bad yardage or a bad read on a part, there was no stutter. Yeah. Um, but, but I think it was really important to um, build that trust and rapport and, and we had a really good relationship. Um, based on trust and, and things like that. And so I knew when to step in to finish off a sentence for her and things like that. Um, yeah, so it's just understanding who the person is and, and things like that. that that's how um, we made it work. You've just triggered a memory. Sorry, Mark, we're just leaving you in the dark here for a moment. Um, but uh, you've triggered a memory. There's a female singer by the name of Megan Washington. I'm not sure if you're yep. familiar. And she has an unbelievably bad stutter. Uh, but when she sings, it's non-existent. I think there yep. might have even been an, an Australian version of TED Talk about it. It's really, really fascinating. Were you able to read the cues with uh, that particular athlete when she, it might be girl getting to her and she was going to stutter? Yeah, yep, definitely, definitely. Um, and, and it was obviously when she was comfortable with people mm-hmm. um, uh, and knew the person, she was obviously much better. But um, 
she actually has just done a TED talk as well. Um, and she received a, an award at Augusta every year. They have a humanitarian award. And she sat down in front of a, a video. It might have been about four or five years ago. Yeah. It took her 12 hours to get 10 minutes um, speech wow. through the video. Um, but she managed to do it. So, yeah, she, you know, she'd get quite frustrated when she couldn't get things out. But I think you realise when to, I realised quite early on when to finish things off or when to let her, um, you know, just by prompting and, and she could finish off. But, yeah, her, she was very, very severe. She was a beautiful singer um, yeah. and, and obviously never started either when she had a couple of beers. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, it's just understanding who that person is and, and, you know, that's just built on time and things like that as well. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was quite fast, like pretty amazing. Um, yeah, because she, you know, she won tournaments and was never able to, um, do an acceptance speech. Couldn't even get thank you out. Wow. Um, so, um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, pretty amazing by the end of working with her that she was, you know, more comfortable and, and could pretty, when I say hold a conversation, it was quite broken, but yeah. Oh. Mark, tell me your coaching story similar to Tamara's. Do you have one of um, resilience? I guess that's a really great story that is based on resilience of an athlete. Do you have a, a story of success or even failure? Oh, yeah, there's obviously plenty of uh, plenty of failures in coaching, absolutely. And, and I think you know Tamara spoke about that she probably learnt more around coaching side. Is um is a, you know. Component like I travelled um, on tour a fair bit with different players. So I travelled from a uh, on a female uh, tour and then on the male tour. And obviously, you've got to ensure that you are dealing with the individual themselves on on any particular day. And everybody deals with things very differently. Um, I think the biggest lesson I learned I spent an Australian Open uh, would have been about probably seven or eight years ago. Five players in the open playing at the same time, which is generally of female in the main draw. Had two females in the main draw, and then I had a, a junior player. So basically, I was having to work with um, different personalities, different nationalities, different styles of game, uh, and I was going from court to court in practice. So I had an Indian male uh, player who was starting his journey. I had a a Romanian player who was in at the end of his journey. He was about to play Roger Federer. Um, he was a very quiet, introverted kind of guy. Coaching two female Russian players. Uh, one was younger, one was older at the end of the career. So it was interesting. And then a junior who didn't know what to think and relied on everything that I said to control basically what she wanted. So you have to sort of mould yourself into each individual that you've got in front of you. And if you don't know them, as Tamara mentioned before, you've got to understand the person behind the athlete. Um, my biggest sayings in, in coaching that you're a person much longer than you are a tennis player or a footballer. So I want to deal with you as a person and understand who you are and how you deal with things and how you're going to respond to my interaction. You know, I think that has probably shaped my coaching a lot because I think tennis, um, as I said before, is very selfish or individually and I was a very selfish person coming out of the tour or as playing days into coaching had to mould myself into become a very selfless kind of a person. Um, even though I feel like I've always been wanting to help others, I felt like I had to change my thought processes when I stepped on the court. And it wasn't about me improving, it was always about the other end. And 
I feel like, you know, as I've gone along, um, I've made a lot of mistakes uh, from, you know, talking to players about games and talking to players about stroke production and talking to players about execution things as opposed to making them feel the right way prior to an event. You know, some players need you to, to be around them the whole time, 24-7, to make them feel like you're their security blanket and others players want you to, to get away. And you've got to understand where that line is as a coach. And, uh, you know, I think, I, I don't think you can learn from a book. I don't think you can learn that from a course. I don't think you can learn that from being a professional athlete. You've got to learn that through experience and through screwing it up. And in, in, in coaching, more about the experience than it is, you know, the, the textbook kind of uh, and, You know, I've, I've learned the hard way at times. I've uh, been, you know, yelled at from the stands, up into the stands, it's my fault. And, you know, wrong game plan and, you know, you do that. But at the end of the day, it's what, you know, where I'm today is only due to where I've been and what I've done and what I've been able to experience in life. And, you know, coaches out there and you see first-time coaches experience some really poor losses and, and so forth. But that's only part of growth and that's part of experience. And had I not been a part of the Richmond Footy Club over the last 14 years, and I've discussed this with you, Nick, off-air beforehand, but... I don't think I would have understood this connection piece as well as I do now. And, you know, in 2016, we didn't have a great year on the ground, but what's transpired from that is a result of having a really poor year. And I think without that 2016, I don't think 2017 premiership would have happened. I don't think 2019 premiership would have happened. Our VFL program wouldn't have been as successful. Um, And I think that's, you know, all due to the connections and the relationships that we've been able to build and the trust that we've built. Um, And that is about understanding each person intimately and not just from the, you know, from the, what you see in front of you. So, and that's where I think coaching has changed and, and done a massive 360 from where, you know, the 80s coaches and the 90s coaches were all about, you know, the, the dictatorship. It's now about the collaborative approach. And that's and that me is where, you know, coaching has gone is it's all collaborative. Coach techniques, you know, everybody working together to achieve a common goal. Yeah. Is your, uh, is your kid doing some renovations in the background there tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh... He, he came and stole. Um, I've set up a desk at home, so he he came and grabbed the jacket off the back, and I've just given him something else. So now he's he's into trucks and cars, so he's with Poppy. He's all right. God bless him. But yeah, yeah, he's a uh, yeah, he's full on. He's a boy. <laughs> yeah, no, we can, I've got a couple that yeah. very much like that. Um, yeah. Why football coaching tomorrow? Let's go there. How do you get into coaching football? Oh wow! So. Oh. How long have we got? No, um, accidentally. No, sort of accidentally, I guess. Um, I got back from overseas. Um, I decided I'd had enough. Um, you know, I'm quite close with my family, and I was missing out on. I guess when you're travelling a bit, you miss out on so much. You know, the births of your nieces and nephews, weddings, parties. You know, um, I missed. You know, going to the coffee shop and people knowing your name. Yeah. You know, going meeting your mates at a pub and so I got home in two thousand and twelve. Um and always knew that I wanted to play football. Yeah. Um so, you know, I I debuted at the um the ripe age of thirty six, um, my rookie year in two thousand fourteen, um, just down the road at the St Kilda Sharks. Um and loved it. And and obviously coming home you know, meeting new people was really important for me because my mates are all based overseas. Um, so building up a network base 
um, was really important. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, um, you know, kill two birds with one stone, get involved yeah. in a football club. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd always been quite, I've got a twin sister, always been quite jealous um, of the, the, I guess, the friendship group that she had. She was, um, plays, played netball at quite an elite level. Um, and that team environment. So always had, you know, the group of girlfriends and friends around. And um, so I'm like, right, I'm joining, getting involved in a team and played at the St Kilda Sharks um, 2014. Um, and I guess after playing for a couple of years, saw that there was maybe a little gap in that, again, that connection piece between player and coaches. Yeah. Um, and I guess I was getting a little bit older, um, older, er, er. <laughs> and uh, and Sean Smith was a coach at the time yep. at the Sharks and um, and just thought that um, it was an opportunity to assist. Um, and I had a, a quite a strong rapport with the playing group and thought that would translate well into assisting in that coaching. So that's pretty much how I got into it. And then I fell into the, um, the NAB League role. Um, there was a, a, a piece... Uh, casual position of a talent ID that um, Ryan O'Connor was a talent manager at the Dragons. Yep. Um, so I pl- applied for that and um, had a chat with him and Darren Flanagan. Um, and then uh, within about two days, Ryan said, oh, we've got an opening position for the head coach of the girls program. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not ready for that. Um, but then I thought, well, you know what? I'm not going to know. I might as well give it a go. Um, and yeah, so I've been coaching my own team for the last three years. So it was it was sort of by accident um, because at no stage, and it's probably the old adage of you know your own self esteem and stuff like that. You're never ready. Um, but yeah, Ryan was really encouraging and and put a really um, strong group around me. Um, and and yeah, so um, that's how I became a coach. But I love it. I similar to Mark, you know, I love. Um, helping people um, it sounds sounds so cliche but it, it's so much better seeing success um, of someone that you've you've built a rapport and developed and seeing them have successes is to me it's it's much more important than individual success your, your own success um, yeah it's, you get quite chuffed when you see someone get the results after um, uh, the work so yeah that's cool it's a cool story Mark, mm. your, your story is also fascinating as well, mate, in regards to how you got into to footy. You, um, did you stalk the Richmond Football Club? Get- <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a weird story, yeah. So uh, I did play footy all the way through juniors as well. So I got to – basically I was selected to go tack up for Calder and had to decide whether I'd play tennis or footy as a career. And Yep. Uh, came through with the likes of Jude Bolton and uh, Ryan O'Keefe and these sort of guys came through Calder and I was sort of along that kind of pathway. I probably felt I was a better football than tennis player, but um, always felt that coaching for me in tennis was always going to be a pathway if I didn't make it as a player. And I thought with footy, I, at the time there was 16 teams. I'm like, there's no chance of getting a job in the AFL. What do I even bother for? Yeah. So I, t- I took the plan B pathway, I guess, um, across that. And anyway, I went and played my tennis, came back and played some some local footy as well when I was about 21, 22. Um, and then literally was doing all my qualifications for my tennis coaching because I thought, you know, I need to get, you know, as highly qualified as I can in tennis coaching and try and make this my, my, my career. And was doing my high performance coaching course, which is the last one in tennis in Australia. And 
they said, okay, to finish your course, you've got to do 10 hours of work experience at a, a sporting club other than tennis. So I thought, okay, well, I love footy, so let's try footy clubs. So I sent emails across to every, every club. No one replied, which was great. Um, that was fantastic. Um, so I went and knocked on the door of a couple of clubs, actually North Melbourne being one of them. Yep. Um, they never got back to me when I went down there and, and spoke to a few people down there. And then there was a couple of other clubs that did the same. Um, and then I went down to the Richmond Footy Club and I literally waited for training to finish. And I grabbed the person who at the time was Choco Royal, uh, Brian Royal, who um, I, uh, I knew a friend who knew him. And I basically started a conversation with, oh, you know, a friend of mine. And I emailed you about doing some work experience. All I need is 10 hours. Can you help me out? I've been trying to get hold of you. He said, oh, I was trying to get hold of you, you know, to get back to you. I said, OK, anyway, I'm here. What can we do? He said, look, come inside and let's let's have a chat. And literally from that day, which was roughly 14 years ago, I've been at the club ever since. He gave me my 10 hours of work experience. Wow. And then, um, Craig McRae offered me a job after that and said, look, you know, I'd love you to help out with player development. So I was with Craig and Jade Rawlings. And then uh, literally have ever since been involved in the club in every way, shape or form from development of first to fourth year players to some uh, uh, individual player ISO camming and reporting to... Uh, to coaching the forwards and backs and mids in the VFL, to co- director of coaching of the VFL, to whatever. So it's been a, an unbelievable journey and one that I'll be forever grateful for because I feel like the club has, has made me evolve as a person more than a coach, first and foremost. And it sort of taught me the, the respect of, um, you know, being in some, a place like that. And I've seen players like Richo and Nathan Brown and Ben Cousins come through. And, and you sort of look at it and go, wow, amazing and then for me to to look back now and watch Trent Cochin who I saw come through the door on the first day that he was there and um, to be able to be a premiership captain it's those journeys of life that I've probably enjoyed the most of seeing guys achieve something that they have been at the club for such a period of time and and deservingly um, got what they what they've obviously earned over the last few years. It's awesome it's such a cool story I want to ask you and I'm sure Tamara would be interested as well being um, in her line of coaching, you've seen a huge transition in that footy club in regards to culture and, and the way it is now. Can you share some stories about how that has sort of taken place in front of your eyes, I guess? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's an amazing evolution. Like, when I first got there, I think within the first 12 months, Terry Wallace was sacked and, you know, we had interim coach and Jade Rawlings and then it was the, apprentice, the, the appointment of Damien Hardwick. And just to see how the, the clubs changed, we had a horrible, dingy club rooms underneath Punt Road stand that was, you know, uh, possum infested. We had possum poo in the offices we were, we were working out of and um, you could hear them scratching in the roof when you were working in there. And it was just an amazing venue to be at, firstly. And um, to what it is today where Peggy O'Neill and, and uh, Brendan Gale and obviously Damien Hardwick and a few others have been just amazing in the way that they've shaped that club. and and had a, a great plan from the start. Um, but I feel like the, the way it's evolved is getting the right people in the right roles. And, you know, you could, you can have the smartest people, you can have the best coach in the world, but you've got to have the right people from the way they connect to others, the way they create culture and environments and, and the way they adhere to values and the way they connect as a team. You know, it, it sounds all cliche and, and so forth. And people go, oh, yeah, I've heard it before. You know, you hear it on TV all the time. But it's the people that make the club. Who, who, Mark, who, who drove that? Was it the player group themselves or was it, you know, Brendan Gale, Peggy O'Neill? Look, it's 
started from the top. There's no doubt it started from the top and you had to start from that. And then the players got hold of it and then the players drove it. And then basically when they now appoint, they appoint the right people. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's not about how much you know, it's about how much you care and how yeah. much you be part of it and how much you, you sort of sacrifice yourself. And, um, and I, and it's amazing to, to walk into that footy club. It feels like your family. It feels like you're walking in the front door of your house. And, uh, and I'll forever be grateful for the opportunity, whether I get another opportunity, obviously post-COVID is another story. But you, you sort of see it evolve. And obviously, we've got some great people involved um, from a cultural perspective. Shane McCurry's done a lot of work through the AFL as well. But his, his work has been invaluable around creating connection within the group. Uh, but, you know, the players have been exceptional. Uh, they recruit, um, the recruiting guys recruit the right people, not just the right players. And it's just a flow-on effect. And you look at it and go, you know, they bypass certain players possibly because of the way they are or the way of their being. Um, and every person that comes into that footy club plays a role in creating that culture. And I think that's the, the first and foremost thing you look at is how do we get people that are to be part of what we do and not try and be the it in a bit. Yeah. Um, it's the old, uh, no dickhead policy, isn't it? Really? It is, 100%. It's, it's, you know, yeah. making sure you got a good person. Absolutely. You um, get on how good he is as a footballer. Yeah. But, you know, the yeah. way he is with his, his peers, like you just look at it and you go, wow, like he brings everyone along for the ride and he joins in with the ride. And it's, and it's that sort of collaborative culture that, you know, you just don't see anywhere. And, People try and um, replicate it. You know, you see it all the way across the AFL. And, but it, it, we live it. And we yeah. live it in We live it in life. Um, through COVID, we've got, you know, chat groups going on that we are still in t involved every day with our players. Um, yeah. And even though we're not playing a game this year, it doesn't matter to us. It's about... Not because us. you have to be involved, but you exactly. want to be involved. That's, that's the difference, isn't it? It is. And, and you've got to want to be part of something. And, you know, I think... Too many people in sport see the, oh, I want to be in the Richmond Footy Club because it's, an, it's awesome and they're winning. It's not about that. It's about we want to be part of it because we just love being part of it. Yeah. You, know, um, you know, we were going through a challenging time through COVID, but we all stayed in touch. And, you know, coaches called each other weekly to make sure we're okay and players called each other and coaches got in touch with players and we stayed in touch with our group. We held trivia nights. We held, you know, all these sort of things. And, because why? Because we can and because we want to and because... And you it, care. It's that care. care, yeah. And, um, look, it's, it is cliche and everyone might listen to this and go, oh, I've heard it all before. But until you walk into a place that you feel like you can be yourself, you never truly know what it's like to be at the Richmond Footy Club. And, you know, I feel like I can be who I am. I can admit to my faults. I can admit to my bad days. And no one judges you. And a footy club needs to be a place where you're not judged. That you know, ego is left at the front door, and you can walk in and just be who you are. And you, you basically walk in there, you know, bare naked, and this is who I am. And everyone goes, you know what, you are who you are, and we love you for it. And that's yeah. the, the place that, that the Richmond Footy Club is. Yeah, it's cool. It's really good. It is cool. It's very cool. Yeah, it's awesome to listen to. I, I, we could Tamara and I could probably sit here and listen to it all day. Yeah, uh, I could. I definitely could. I want to. Um, and, and, and sorry, just as you say that, and that's. Yeah. You know, from a NAB, NAB League uh, perspective, it's almost like we're a, a representative team. But that's – we're trying to – I know at the Dragons is that's what myself and Berkey, who's the head coach, he's trying to create that club feel, that, that family feel. And, and 
you know, it's, as you say, it's hard to replicate. You've got to have the right people to drive it. Yeah, absolutely. And continue it on. Like you got to start it off. It's one thing to start your car. It's another thing to press the accelerator and drive. Yeah. I think it's important that, you know, you've got enough drivers in that, in that driver's seat as opposed to passengers. Um, you know, you want everybody to be a driver and, and connect as much as possible and, and, and lead it. doesn't matter if you're a first-year player, you're a captain, or you're, uh, you've been around the club for 100 years. Everybody is part of the, the puzzle. Um, yeah. You know, the puzzle is many pieces. Cool. Do you think that's you, Tamara, at Sandringham, when you have to develop and, I guess, guide uh, a group of young female footballers between the ages yep. of 15 to 19, potentially? Yeah. You have to be on when you get out of your car and go into Sandringham Footy Club because you're going to be looked upon as the head coach. Um, I, I think that's one thing that initially, um, yes, you have to be on, but I think, um, you know, you need to show that vol- the that. I guess is a vulnerability as well as a coach. How do you do um, it? Uh, exactly what Mark just said. You know, you've got to be yourself. Um, you know, I, I think I think kids are really good at seeing through people. Um, so if you're not yourself, they pick up on that. Um, so for me, you know, you can have a, you know, I'm quite, I, I get quite invested and emotionally invested um, in my playing group. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, I've been there for three years, so they've they've also seen me um, go through a lot of stuff as well and grow. You know, I've had I was um, seven months pregnant at the end of the first season. The second season, I've got a um, a young child, and now Raf's running around at training. You know, yeah. so so they also see um, a lot of growth and and what I go through. And I think um, you know, you it's again, you, it's um, you've just got to be yourself. So even as a coach, you know, if, if we stuff up, we tell them we stuff up. You know, you, you've got to, um, you know, um, live by a sword, die by a sword. So we're asking players to, you know, be open and, and invested. And, and, you know, if you're feeling crap, let us know. Well, you know what? As a coach, there are days that you feel crap. And, and I think that um, sometimes it's okay to... To let your players know, um, and I think that's again build on connection and rapport and trust with the group that you have. Um, so yeah, I, I've definitely, um, you know, there's some things that you you want to make sure that you protect them from, um, but there's other things that you know it's it's life. Um, so you know, it's as much as much about um, coaching football as about coaching them in life because you know they they that 15 to 19. Um, age group, especially for young females, is it's really um, really tough on self esteem, um, and they're quite impressionable. Um, so you know, if you can um, share experiences, life experiences as well along the way, I think that 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 assists them in their growth and development as well, away from away from the footy club. How honest and real are you with sharing your experiences? Uh, very. We. Um, so this year we started, um, so before every training session, it's um, story time. Yep. So it was e- either a, a coach, um, a, a player, or one of the other um, service providers, if they were in the area, we'd um, spend five minutes at the start. And it's something that I picked up from Shane McCurry, who we had, we've got, we've had a couple of sessions with part of the level three. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Um, mm. Yeah. And we, we, throughout pre-season, we did that every single training session um and it was about 
getting to know your teammate, getting to know um, your coach um, and, and getting to know people that are around you rather than just, um, you know, kicking and marking and, and instructing them about football um, and knowing them as a footballer is, you know, these girls come from all different backgrounds, private school, public school. Um, some are from broken, broken homes. Um, some are elite in other areas. Some have um, their own mental and physical struggles. So um, getting to know who they are and then, um, again, it's, it's, you know, um, something really strong is then you, you build trust and build rapport and, um, and yeah, I just think it assists in that, that on-field um, match day or game day experience as well um, is that you know who that person is and... and you know, you'll go in and assist and, and things like that. But, yeah, we, you know, so we made that a real um, – I made that a real priority this year about um, building connections and that storytelling piece. Um, and, and some of the things that we got out of that first five minutes, um, uh, we had a, a girl who suffered some, some really ordinary things mentally and, and after the first half a dozen um, – storytelling session she tapped me on the shoulder and said Tam I want to tell my story because I feel really comfortable um, in in now sharing with the playing group what I've gone through um, and that was really really powerful um, and that then gave the rest of the group a, an understanding of who this girl is they might see her on the on the football field but okay we understand now um, what else she's been going through away from, from football. And it's, you know, just a way to throw your arms around people as well. Yeah, through the vehicle of footy and sport, which is... Yeah. Nice. And um, yeah. I want to I dive into the, the male-female perceptions of athletes. And um, so it's interesting, Tamara, to have you on to, to get your opinion because I haven't spoke to you about this before, but I think what you're talking about is going to segue into something that's, uh, that's very real and... So where I work is a, a male-dominated industry at the docks, a um, bit of a chauvinistic outlook on some things that are going on in the world, and females playing footy is one of them. Um, but your story is something that, or is a reason for me, is why more and more females, not just be getting involved in footy, but should be getting involved in sport. Because yeah. the vehicle of sport has allowed that girl in particular to be, like you said, A, safe and be part of a group, be able to deal with what she's been dealing with, the dealings outside sport at home, and just to become a better person. How can we begrudge females wanting to play footy and be involved in teams when you get that out of it? Um, and the chauvinistic side and the narrow-minded side is, oh, they can't play, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, this is the reason why I love coaching female athletes and love being involved in it, because it's something that they've been told no from having in their life for such a long time. And now they get to experience what Mark and I have been able to experience all our lives. Yeah. It's huge. Um, I'm rambling a little bit. Do you find a, a, I want your opinion on that, but also have you coached male athletes, A, and B, if you haven't, do you think there's a difference? My opinion is there isn't. They're footballers. They want to I agree. Players. I agree. And and I think that's, that's look, that. As male and females, we're made up differently and whether that be emotionally, physically. But I think as an athlete, I think there's so many similarities between male and female as an athlete that um, when, you know, um, 
as far as the, the thought process and things like that, I think very, very similar. Um, obviously, there's some physical um, differences, but um, yeah, I, I get really frustrated when people say I'm a, a female coach. Yeah. I'm a football coach. Yeah. I just so happen to coach females. Couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. And, and so things like that annoy me. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough that I'm one of three girls and, um, you know, my folks have, have you know, my, almost like my, my dad has been, had almost the boy in me in, uh, in, but, but that was the norm is we were, we were given opportunities to play sport um, because that's what we love to do. And I think that, you know, the, the easiest thing that I say to those people, do they have a daughter? Yeah. You know, would you stop your daughter from doing something that she wanted to do? Yeah, exactly. It's a you great know, that's, point. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I've got two daughters, and yeah, and you know, like it's it's one of the, and uh, the female players of, of today are now paving the way for my daughters to have that pathway. And, yeah. And how, I'm not, I can't stop them. I'm not going to stop them ever. No, you know? no. And, and, and the world's made up of females and males. So why should men only be allowed to do one thing? Why should females only be allowed to do a certain thing? You know, it's, um, yeah, no, I, I get cross, cross, quite frustrated. And, and uh, my partner, she, she's always, I read these things and I'm like, she's like, oh, just bite your tongue, bite your tongue. <laughs> um, because, I, you know, why, yeah, there, there's, yeah, I, I get quite frustrated by it. But um, that's, you know. It's changing, but slowly, I think, um, you know, and, and, it, and, and sometimes it's the way you're brought up as well. Um, yeah, but um, that's not the world that I live in. Yeah. Mark, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I second all of those things that Tamara said. I mean, I've got two daughters um, and if they, you know, whatever they choose in life, they should be able to do. And I think that's important that we, we pave the way for, for no matter who you are, gender, race, whatever, to be able to be accepted and to be able to be accepted into anything that you want to do in life. And that's a really important part about um, how we've got to try and create our, our thoughts around society. Um, I've coached both male and female athletes, um, both in, in multiple sports. I also coach, um, uh, I do mindset and performance coaching for a, a singer who's about to put a album out. I do I work with a world champion, a Latin dancer, um, and they are just people. And at the mm. end of the day, when you coach, you coach the person, you don't coach the athlete. I have no, no idea about singing and I have no idea about Latin dancing. I, you know, I, I coach the people behind that. And that's, for me, the most important part about life is you know, you're, you're a person much longer than you are an athlete. And I continue to say it, but it doesn't matter your gender. It's, it's important. I think the, the differences in both genders is that you like the physical capabilities are different. And I feel like every time I've, I've coached female athletes, they've been probably wanting a little bit more of my um, attention and care. Whereas the male athletes are not really as fussed with, you know, you know, you go and do your own thing. I'll go and do my own thing kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the only differences in, in that, but, at the end of the day, the person will prevail and we need to make sure we, we tap into the person's thought processes and, and ensure that we, we get the best out of them as people. Yeah. How the fuck do you end up coaching a singer and a Latin dancer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm envious. I'm, I don't know how you're feeling tomorrow. I'm envious of this 
prick on the other end of the phone call. Yeah, I know. Doing all I these know. I know. Things and no, look at how do you get into that? It's interesting. I've done a few talks at footy clubs. I've done a few talks around. Um, at, I did a, a dance um, studio from this this dancer, and um, and I basically was approached um, individually to to talk about mindset because that's basically where a lot of my talks go to. Is I, I think it's important to understand the thought processes behind being a, an athlete, behind being you know someone who wants to be successful in life. I think. Um, at the footy club, Richmond, we talk about success leaves footprints. And no matter what sport you do, I think, you know, you've got to understand that success is achieved through doing the same things in life as it is in sport. And basically, I was tapped on the shoulder by, by these um, people that wanted help around, you know, how to get mo- their mindsets right, how to get their uh, trainings to, to simulate matches, what do they need to do to perform better, you know, anxiety, etc. And that's where I've gone down the path of is, is performance coaching, is mindset coaching. And, you know, I'm no sports psychologist, but um, as I mentioned before, experiences have taught me more than any book will ever teach me. And, you know, if I can understand the person behind, you know, who I'm dealing with and understand what makes them tick, then I can get the best out of them. Um, and that's basically how it all ended up. And they approached me through different views of um, people, you know, seeing my work or seeing me, you know, at a certain presentation that I got in touch. And, you know, very fortunate to do to do what I do. That's cool. It's a really good story. Tamara, how are you going for time, mate? With your mother? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. No, I've just uh, no, it's perfect. I've just given him a bottle, so he looked a bit tired on the couch. So <laughs> I've just uh, he's he's not far off due for a sleep. Seeing as though he woke very very early this morning, but um, but yeah, no, I'm good. Very good. It's a very genuine podcast, so that's fine, Mark. Very I mean, genuine. Yeah, I meant calling you a prick in the nicest possible way as well, mate. <laughs> oh, demon. I accept it, mate. It's all good. It's um, it's it's funny because I I basically I, sometimes I do take for granted the opportunities I've had as a coach, and yeah. I think COVID has probably made me realise and pinch myself and say, listen, you're pretty um fortunate to be in the situation you are, and you know I've been able to to be on the tennis court with the world's best doubles players of all time, the Bryan brothers. I've been able to work with a singer who's about to release an album, work at the Richmond Footy Club, and probably the best uh, club at the moment in the AFL and, and the most successful. And, and you sort of, I think you forget that sometimes. And it's a, always nice to, to go back and understand where you have come from and, and, you know, what has built you. And as Tamara said at the start, I think Maribyrnong Park has been the breeding ground for a lot of, uh, lot of successful people. And I just am just so grateful to have had the opportunity to do what I do. It's awesome. It's really it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool when you look back on, you know, the opportunities that sport actually give you. Um, it's amazing. I, like, I'm, I'm going to name drop again, Russ. Um, <laughs> Don't you do I, it. Yeah, I was, I was caddying at Evian, which is in France, um, and um, the head of Evian, he owns a football side. So every um, Wednesday night before the tournament starts on a Thursday, um, they have a – he gets basically his local football side plus – a couple of um, his friends, and we played a soccer game with players and against players and caddy side. So I, um, I was lucky enough to play on the football field against Laurent Blanc and Zinedine Zidane. You're kidding! So, wow. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. So you know, one on at, at one stage, I'm standing in goal on Laurent Blanc who was the captain of the, the World Cup side in, I think it was, was it 98 or something like that? He's headed right, yeah. a ball towards me. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, I've got to stop a ball from a, a, the captain of the, and then Zinedine Zidane as well, you know. Um, the opportunities that sport 
gives you um, at all levels, you know, whether it be, um, you know, rubbing shoulders with, um, you know, champions of different sports to, um, to learning emotionally um, um, about yourself. It's, it's unreal. Did you always think you'd be a coach out of all these experiences, Tamara? Like, even back then when you were rubbing shoulders with these people and learning how different cultures and, and people overseas go about things, did it trigger anything? Um, I, I guess a little bit. Probably more so when I, yeah, when I was caddying, definitely. Yeah, because, um, yeah, like, I'm a sports head. Like, um, you know, my mum said, you know, if you knew as much, if you put as much time into your schoolwork, you know, you'd be a A-plus <laughs> student. I'll um, pop that one now off my wife. But, oh, but any, any sport, any sport, like yeah. I, just, I just love, and that was my life, and similar to Mark, you know, that's all I wanted to do. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the analytical side as well. Yeah. Um, so part of golf is the, the biomechanics, um, when I was at the VIS, started to come into it, all the biomechanics and the sports science stuff. So... You know, how your body works, um, how you can increase speed and, and hit the ball further. So that side of it as well as the people side of it. Um, and I guess when I was caddying, that that more that people side of it um, was more prominent. So that, that I guess, um, I don't know whether I ever thought I'd be a football coach, but um, I always wanted to stay involved in sport. And, and for me, I guess... Um, at the Sharks and getting older, that was one way for me to stay involved in the sport um, yeah. and in sport. So, um, yeah, I don't see myself ever not being involved in sport. Um, I can't wait till Raf has to go to Auskick and stuff like that, the poor bugger. I want to be that, you know, that mum on the, the sideline. Yeah, get involved, you know. But, um, but yeah, no, um, I couldn't not see myself coaching now. Um, and... You know, even last night I was running around with the top age girls. Yeah. Um, our secret, we're not meant to, we've been having just to keep them um, ready for if there is going to be a draft. Um, Don't worry, only about three people listen to this podcast and I think two of them are fake <laughs> Russian porn sites that follow me on Twitter, so don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> so we... One we, person, nah. Yeah, so through all this COVID thing, we made a conscious effort, you know, because those girls were, you know, it's their, their dream is to be drafted. Yeah. Um, so every Monday night, um, get the footies out and run around with them. And even last night, like I'm like, far out. How good is this? Like you know, the sun. It's it's the sun was setting on a beautiful winter's night, and we're running around kicking footies. And um, yeah, I loved it. So I was, you know, as much as um, it's helping them, um, it's also helping me, um, you know, mentally because it is. It was quite flat at first, you know. Um, when something that you love is taken away, um, but not only is it is it assisting them, I realised last night how much staying involved and connected with them is assisting me. So, um, yeah, I love it, love it. I'm glad you touched on the analytical and the, the I guess the strategic side of sport because you we should uh, premise you don't want to lose sight sight of that, do you? I mean. Yeah, no. the relationship piece and the connected piece is really important. But how do you PD yourself in regards to the analytics and the, the way the game's played? Well, I think, you know, the, the generation now is why. Yeah. So you can't do something without having the question, why are we doing that? Okay. So it's, it's making sure that 
um, yes, you're, you're getting players and, and to learn something, but why? How does that, um, how does that align with what the outcome is we want? So that's really important piece. And I think, um, you know, that age group of 15 to, to 19, they, they want to know why. So if you're going to do something, you've got to have the answers. Um, if you're going to get them to do something, why are we doing this? So I, I'm lucky enough. I'm probably as, you know, um, I've got some really good assistant coaches around me who are probably more technical. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I recognized early that my strength is probably my connection and the relationship side of it yeah. um, and, and managing people. Um, so I knew that the, from potentially a strategic technical aspect, I need, that's where I needed to get some assistant coaches in and, and someone I've learned off Fraser Cameron, who's um, one of our assistant coaches, he's been involved in footy for so long and, and has a, a copious amount of knowledge, which he doesn't mind sharing. So sometimes we've got to rein him in a little bit, Fraser. Yeah. But, um, you know, that he's been fantastic for my growth and learning from a, a strategic technical side of why we're getting the girls to do this as well. So um, it's just making sure you've, you've got the right balance and the good people surrounding you. I think I don't see, I've never seen myself as a head coach. I've seen myself as a coach and my assistants, we all share the load. Like it's not, um, you know, a hierarchy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's making sure that we we um, we're really well balanced, um, and I understand where uh, probably my um, I'm not as competent in, so I make sure I surround myself with people that are. Yeah, I think you've done a great thing by going in and being a head coach straight up. I think um, I know there was a little bit of assistant coaching at St Kilda Sharks, but yeah, to run your own program and run your own team so early in your coaching career is really important. Yeah, I, look, I'm. And and I think it's the byproduct is is that it's assisted me in other areas of yeah. my life as well. Um, but yeah, if you had a said to me like oh, I when Rock first said to me, you know, you can and and you're right, is running your own program. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Like, and there's a lot that goes into it. But um, but yeah, I don't know how I fitted in actually. When uh, now that it stopped, you you sort of sit back and go, wow, how did I do this as well? But um, you make it work because you love it. For sure, for sure. Mark, it's interesting listening to Tamara talk about her journey as a head coach and then we've listened to you tell some awesome stories in regards to your own journey. But there's one part that fascinates me um, and you may have, I'd like to know, but I don't think you've coached your own team yet. And if so, what are the reasons behind that? Yeah, no, I haven't haven't coached my own team. So basically, uh, footy has always been um, my secondary. I guess. Um, so I head coach uh, tennis program, um, the Melbourne International Tennis School. I also head coach the Maribyrnong Sports Academy tennis program. Um, I do coach education for Tennis Australia. So that's another part of my um, uh, coaching is I've done 13 years or 14 years of coach ed for them. Yep. Um, then footy has always been that secondary, um, which, you know, I have always dabbled in, do I go full-time footy? Do I not? Do I look for a full-time role? Do I not? Um, tennis is a, and, and tomorrow will probably vouch for it, is financially probably a, a, in a better situation than, than footy is. Um, and, you know, it's a, a lucrative sport that people are willing to really push the boundaries now. Obviously now in the, the, um, the scenario I'm in life, I've got a, a family, I've got two young kids, um, 
finances are generally the most important part to be able to put food on the table. Um, and my career yeah. probably taken a back seat in, well, I can't go and chase that dream of coaching my own team probably for not as much money as I'm making now to be able to fulfill my, my wants. Um, and that's probably the, you know, that would be the selfish thing for me to do at this stage in my life. Um, I think, you know, we're, you know, like everyone, you've got mortgages, bills to pay. And I think that takes the, the priority for me. And the other thing that takes priority now during COVID, I've had a really good think about it is being able to um, spend time with my family and, you know, not having footy as much as it hurts me. It's probably, given me 12 hours a week that I didn't have with my kids. And, yeah. you know, one of the stories I had um, was the second week of COVID. Um, we were having dinner at home and we're sitting around the table and my five-year-old turns to me and says, Daddy, I love the coronavirus. And I said, what are you talking about, sweetheart? She goes, well, it means you're home. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, broke my heart. So yeah. I, yeah. that to me was a wake-up call to say, you know what, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I've, I've, achieved in my coaching even though i'm not selfish in my coaching i've achieved a lot and i feel like i've achieved what i wanted to to go out and achieve and i think i created i guess a profile enough to be able to continue in the sport like tamara said i'll be in the sport for life as well and i think i've been able to create that to be able to stay in the sport um i don't need to be chasing the the lucrative um own team or you know big deals or offers that you know I, I think it's more for me of okay i want family as my number one priority um, yeah. i need to keep food on the table and if something comes that i can be able to do both you know that to me is a, is the most important so um yeah it's, it's a good question and a lot of people have asked me the same thing and um i've always liked to to, to play my role and i've never liked to be um someone who is looked upon at the top of a, a footy coaching regime i don't think similar to Mara, but I don't think I've been in a situation to be able to coach a team yet, so I wouldn't know, but I think I play a much better assistant role in footy. Um, and, you know, I've worked a lot with um, Tim Clark and Craig McRae as being kind of their right-hand man um, in the VFL programs to be able to be a sounding board in coaching. Um, they both took the job as first-time head coaches, and, um, and I'd like to have felt that I've played a role to help them uh, to, to do that and I feel like I've got the experience to be able to do that as well but um, yeah it might come down the track I'm 38 now if I can pay off my mortgage pay off the bill, let my kids grow up a little bit possibly it's down the track but um, yeah it's it's not it's not my goal and I don't really set many goals in coaching my goals are letting my players and athletes achieve what they want to achieve and and I and I get rewarded from them doing that that's yeah, cool it's a cool response so before I head to Tamara to, to wind this up, it's been an awesome chat. Uh, I think you've segued a little bit there in regards to uh, the story around your kids and their comments around Corona and you being around more. Has it changed your philosophy? It's a question I have for both of you. You guys have covered everything I wanted to. It's been really, really cool. But this last one, has it changed your philosophy, mate? What's happened during the pandemic? I feel it, during early stages, people were very euphoric, if you will, and they were going to do this and they were going to do that. And it seems to me just of late, maybe in the last week, starting to go back to what they were doing and, not and just sort of taking what they learned through this crisis for granted. Has it changed your mm -hmm. philosophy around your coaching, Mark? And tomorrow, yeah, same question for you when Mark finishes, I guess. Yeah, look, it, it's, it's changed me as a person, probably firstly. Um, and I think that's probably the most important because I value now the most important things in my life and and it's not it's not the dollars all the time it's just family and, yep. the, and the family but at the same time it's it's being present 
Um, mm. And as a coach, I think I've found myself being more present um, on the tennis court of late. Um, I give my 100% effort on the court, but then when I get off the court, I'm 100% with my kids. And that's, uh, you know, probably what's changed me. I think the other thing that's changed is that we can do a lot more via Zoom or via, via online. Yeah. Uh, in the in the Over the last four years, I've been gradually, and this is the other job that I'm doing, gradually um, putting together our coaching website, which I've been doing uh, for the last four years. And over COVID for six or for two two months, I spent, pretty much eight to 10 hours a day developing that with my, my business partner, um, which is going to be launching in the next week or two. Um, give it a plug. Give it a plug. Give it a plug. It's called the tennis menu. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's great. It's a, basically all my co- tennis coaching stuff that I've learned over 20, uh, 20 odd years of coaching is put, putting that together. And um, every drill that I know, every way of doing it, coach education will be on there eventually. And, Look, I think a lot of it can be done online. I don't think we need to have the athletes in front of us as much as we probably think we do. And mm. I think we can teach them and, and get them to learn via different avenues and different ways. And it's not just uh, smacking balls on the tennis court or kicking the footy as many times as I can. It could be from a mental perspective. It could be just checking in to see how they are. It could be face-to-face conversations like we're having now to, to, to actually understand about the person a little bit more and and you don't have to leave your home. You know, you save travel time. You know, you can sit there and do a lot of online coaching. I think that's the way of the world. And I think, you know, fossils like myself need to get better at, at uh, utilising, you know, the, the technology because it's there and it's, and, it's, and it's waiting for us to use. Yeah, I think the time management piece out of this is one for me for sure. I think the meetings and the, the line meetings and stuff like that as an assistant coach, I'd much prefer to say to, in, in my uh, experience, say to the girls, uh, the back six, if you will, or six to eight girls that you got, hey, let's not worry about that meeting. Let's get out on the track. We don't have a yeah. lot of time with each other anyway. And then when it's best suits you guys, it could be tomorrow before the game or in the morning or in the evening. Let's jump on Zoom for half an hour. We can share screen. I can still go through vision. I can still go through uh, tactics or oppo and that sort of thing. It's such a better time, um, I guess, management piece that I'm going to add into my coaching for sure out of this. That's one of, been one of my bigger takeaways. Yeah, yeah, time management definitely and, and slowing things down, you know. You don't have to be in a hurry to to do things, to get things done. I think, um, you know, a little bit more care and, and for me it's, you know, not rushing around. Um, yeah, the, definitely slowing life down because, you know, as, as you guys would know, your kids are only young once. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit the same is that... Um, I've actually, I've actually really enjoyed the first month or two of isolation. I absolutely loved because <laughs> you had no plans on the weekend. Yeah. Um, so it just slowed everything down. You, you weren't rushing to do A, B and C. And um, you can invest a little bit more in just going out and hanging out in the backyard. And, um, yeah, definitely slowing life down a little bit um, has definitely... Um, been something that I've got out of it but um but yeah and spending time with the family like it's been amazing like even last night having training a little bit earlier for we went out for a kick at 4 30 I was back by six and and you know Raf was still up and um so being able to hang out whereas you know when training was on um Monday Wednesdays um I basically doing a drop off at um childcare and then I don't see him till the next morning so um yeah, just valuing the time that you have with, you know, uh, Bridie, my wife, and, and Raph has been been great. Yeah, it's really cool. It's awesome. Tamara, I want to finish up with you just to talk about 
your ambitions and goals? And Mark's touched on the reasons why he hasn't been a head coach yet um, and his experiences. Where's your end game, mate? What's the goal? Um, look, I don't have an end game goal. I, obviously, if there was an opportunity that came up, whether it be um, in the men's program at NAB League, uh, sorry, the boys program, um, AFL, AFLW, I just, I just want to be able to contribute. Um, and, and I think now, I think that's something that's come out of um, probably isolation as well, is, is try not to doubt myself as too much, is that, um, you know, um, if there's something that I can offer, um, put my, and an opportunity came up, well, um, have a go, basically. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to be involved, whether it be at an AFL club, AFLW program or even um, potentially get more involved in the, the boys' NAB league program. So, um, but yeah, just to, I think there's some skills that, um, and that I can offer um, and some experiences to assist um, development of players and, and programs. And um, yeah, I think I've just got to put myself out there a little bit more because um, I'd love an opportunity so, um, to work Hi. at a, maybe a higher level. Mate, you've got the best story of all time. Go down to the footy club, find the guy, and tell him that you emailed him, and then follow yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. Club, and exactly. then stay there for 14 years. For 14 years. 14 years. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. We, that'd be nice. We, I mean, we're take, I'm taking the piss a little bit and having a laugh, but seriously, that is how you put yourself yeah. out there and get it yeah. done. Really cool story. And I think for people that listen to this, hopefully that are, are wondering, oh, geez, can I, should I? Just go and have a fucking crack. Like there's been that yeah. many throughout this podcast that you two guys have shared about traveling young, experiencing things throughout your journeys, putting yourself out there. And obviously, without saying it, you don't seem like you two ever really get offended by anything. It's just move on uh, to the thing. And yeah, yeah, it's it's very cool. Yeah, um, what, you know, and, and, and sorry, the worst that's thing say, like is, is no, yeah, so, no, exactly. And that's what I say to our players. You know, yeah. if, if there's an opportunity, say yes to everything. Yeah. Um, you know, all above board, obviously, but um, <laughs> say yes to everything. And this is, he'll, he'll want to say hello now. Oh, hello, buddy. For those who can't see, no one can see. The little man, he's... That's Raff. Raffity. So... Raff. Yeah. Legend. Hey, hey, buddy. Guys. Say hi. And he's about due <laughs> for a sleep. <laughs> nice. He'd only, so, be able to see, he'd only be able to see my nose, so... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Tamara... I really appreciate your time, mate. Where can we find you? Where do people find you to connect? Um, so, oh, God, I'm anywhere. Um, hit up uh, Sandy Dragons. Um, yeah, anywhere. I'm on Twitter, um, at Tam Hyatt. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I'm you know, happy to chat. And, um, yeah, always, always up for a chat and to share any experience and, and information I can. Terrific, terrific. And Mark, uh, we started with Tamara because you've probably got about 17 different ways to be connected. The Latin, the Latin Dance Association. The, uh... Opera Australia. <laughs> yeah, Opera Australia. Yeah, no, no, just get hold. I'm, I'm on every social media platform. So, you know, from yep. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, just my name, Mark Sapoulis, Um, pretty much one word everywhere. Um, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm and... on LinkedIn too. I forgot about that. Yeah. I'm on all those, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm more than available to chat. And get, oh, yeah, uh, if anyone wants to get hold of me, please, yeah, feel free. Nah, really cool. Guys, this has been fantastic. I appreciate your time. I wish you all the best. And no doubt we'll be... Thanks, Rats. Easy. Sweet. Thank thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, All the best. See ya. Bye.
Hey guys, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Be sure to share it on all your social platforms or even text an email. And please stay tuned next week for another episode of Hear the Voice. Thanks again.